Amen. Amen. And I was in the band. Not on the football field. I was in the band. I'm very proud of my wife, my son. They have taken upon them something that not everybody would. A burden that was not even expected of them uh, a year ago. Now they have to live it out. And they've done everything that we need to do willingly. Now we may have to get Case on that plane kicking and screaming. Drag him on there. We may have to give him a bunch of Benadryl the night before. But he will make it over there. I want to say before I start, thank you so much for allowing us to be here with you this morning. Now, I know that everybody come expecting to hear Bishop, and I would have preferred you heard Bishop. I came today to hear Bishop, uh, but I am the substitute. I thought, you know, I told, we tell him, you know, when that anointing hits, you'll get your strength back. He said, go on with it. So we're praying for Bishop. We're praying for Pastor Green and uh, the entire Bible quizzing team and their travels. We pray that they do well, come back with a big trophy and ribbons and all kinds of things. What an awesome thing Bible quizzing is. Uh, you should, your kids should be a part of it. Your kids should, even if uh, you're not good at uh, coaching, as my, my wife and I tried with our son, and we were proud. We had five verses, and we showed up to the first practice, and kids younger than him were coding 27. And I said, we're not very good at this. <laughs> it's sad when the preacher's kids only know five verses there, 27. But you know what? We stuck through a lot of it, and I'm proud that we did. And I'm proud of my son for what he learned and what he did. I want to thank y'all for letting us be here the, uh, several weeks ago. We were here on a Wednesday night. Uh, y'all helped us out. We have been blessed ever since. Uh, I've come to report to you that we were scheduled out to leave uh, November 1st. We are going to be able to leave um, probably late October. Uh, we are just 15,000 short of our goal. But I believe uh, in this Holy Ghost that we are going to hit that goal exceeding abundant above all we could ask or think. And so along with your help that you have already done, and if you'd like to continue with that, we would be much appreciative. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here today because I feel like the Holy Ghost, well, I know. I don't just feel like I know the Holy Ghost has something for us. Anytime the body of Christ comes together, the Holy Ghost shows up. And if you want to, you can leave here different than how you came in. If you want to, you can come in here heavy laden, believe with peace that passes all understanding. If you want to, you can, you can come into this place with the weight of the world seemingly on your shoulders. But you can leave here with no weight on your shoulders at all. If you want to, you can come into this place a sinner and leave this place a saint. If you want to, you can come into his presence dirty, but leave cleansed. If you want to, you can come into his presence with all kinds of anxiety, depression, and fear, but leave this place with authority. If you want to, it really doesn't matter what songs are sung or what sermons preached. If you need something from God, if I don't even preach what you need it, maybe you say, God, I need something specific and he didn't give it to me. God is above all things and he can give you anything you need. 
anything you ask for. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's an awesome God. He's an omnipotent God. He's an omnipresent God. He's an ever-present time of help in my time of need. He's just good. He's just good. He's just good. Did you know he's far away is the mention of his name? And he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. What an awesome God. The book of Ruth, if you would. The book of Ruth. What an awesome, awesome service we've had so far. What a great Sunday school lesson. If you missed the Sunday school lesson, you missed a whole bunch. What an awesome time. I love to hear men and women of God teach just plain facts. It ain't always easy, but if you just hold on, just stick it through, you'll make it to the end. What a great Sunday school lesson we had, and what a great worship service. Give your worship team a round of applause. What an awesome time. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, And now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elamelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Maon and Kilion, Ephraites of Bethlehem, Judea. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elamelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her other two sons And they took of them wives of women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years, and Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left, her two sons and her husband. Flip the page over, if you would, Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. And she went, this is Ruth, and she went and came and gleaned in the field, after the reapers and her hap. Everybody say her hap. Her hap. That word's like her happenstance. It just happened to happen. It just happened to be. Her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was a kindred of Elamelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. And he then said, Boaz unto his servant, uh, that was set over the reapers. Whose damsel is this? Whose damsel is this? We don't use that kind of verbiage anymore. Whose damsel is this? This is, this is men talking to other men. Who's that beautiful woman over there? I have to say it that way because we're in church. But you know what I mean. Whose damsel is this? And the servant was set over the reapers, answered and said, That's that Moabitess woman. That came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. That makes sense. Moabitess woman who came out of the country of Moab. And last verse. Verse 17 of chapter 4. And then we'll move on from the scriptures. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There's been a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning, they told me that Brother Green uh, is an hour preacher. The first time I ever preached, I went an hour and a half. But I have since been struck down so many times. 
they have beat the hour out of me. I don't know how long we'll be, but I know I'm a big man and lunch is just around the corner. So I want to talk to you about this. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. Heavenly Father, I give you this time and I honor you. I worship your name. I glorify you, Lord, because of your goodness and your mercies, because you first loved me. I give you all this honor, Lord Jesus, because I know that you're going to move in this place in a mighty way. I pray that no man, woman, or child leave here the same way that they came in. And I pray, Lord, that the anointing of the Holy Ghost, which destroys the yoke of every enemy, would rest in this place. I speak freedom and liberty into this house. That every man, woman, and child would leave different in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said in the name of Jesus. You may be seen. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. I've come this morning to tell you of a story that we seem like so often that we cannot relate to an Old Testament book. That's, that's how the New Testament church seems to talk more. This modern day church, that Old Testament is for somebody else. And really, we just need to look at the New Testament for how we should live and how we should act. But Ruth is the most uh, comparable book. To any person in the room. In fact, it is the book of how a woman, a nobody who should be hated and despised, who has no place in the kingdom of God, is in the scriptures, is in the place of God, and in the lineage of God. It is a woman who should have never been mentioned. Ruth should not be in our scriptures. It makes no sense for Ruth to be in our scriptures. It makes no sense for her to be a book in my Bible. It makes no cultural sense at the time for Ruth to have been written. It makes no, no cultural sense at the time for them to even uh, put her up. But in fact, she is. She shouldn't be there, but she is. She should not be a thought, but she is. We should not need to be talking about her in 2022, but we are. The book of Ruth is an amazing book. I love the book of Ruth, not just because it's four chapters and it's an easy read. And I can say I read a book today. No, I like the book of Ruth because it's my story. It's a story of an individual who should not be in the church, who should not be in the kingdom of God, but I am. The book of Ruth is your story. You should not be here. They should have beat it out of you. They should have hurt your feelings so much you never showed back up. You should have been too hurt, too sick, too lame. You should have been too destroyed to be here. But you're here this morning. You faced every adversary that you could have this morning, and yet you're here. Some of us are here by accident, it seems like. But I've come to tell you that there are no accidents in the kingdom of God. There's no mistakes. Nothing's taken my God by surprise. Nothing's ever happened in my life that my God ever looked at and said, I didn't foresee that coming, and I didn't know that that would happen. He never made a decision and said, I didn't think that went through. There's no accidents in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God. God does everything on purpose and with purpose. God allows everything on purpose and with purpose. And even though things in our minds shouldn't have happened, my God seems to turn things around. He seems to turn a bad situation into a good situation. Somehow he works beyond time. Somehow he works beyond my present situation. Somehow he works in my yesterday for my tomorrows. He knew my situation before I ever came to it. He knew every trial and circumstance that I would face long before I ever got to it. He knew the mountain I would climb 
long before I got through the valley. He knew the valley was there long before I got through with my last mountain. He knows everything long before you arrived. We should take peace in knowing that. Peace in knowing that my God knows the situation. He created the terrain so he knew the map before I drew it up. He knew the map long before it ever happened. He knew my circumstance. And he knew what would come about. The book of Ruth is an amazing story. It's a story that is in the midst of darkness in Israel. We find it in between the judges and Samuel. Just four little chapters in between the judges and Samuel. You'll look look over it if you're not paying attention. If you don't have tabs on your Bible, you'll flip right over the two little pages that it probably takes for the book to be written. But what a significant story. It's as if God said, in the midst of this darkness, let me shed a little light on the situation. It's as if God said, you know what? It, 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 it's, it's as if the, the devil is, 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 is running amok and God says, well, I'm going to do just a little thing over here that it seems like just a little thing just to let the enemy know who's still in charge, who, who's still got this all in their hands. God does that, I think, sometimes. I think God allows you to go through heartache and pain. And sometimes he sets just a little light. You don't get out of your darkness. He doesn't, he doesn't put you in complete light. But he sheds just a little light on it as if to say, I've still, I'm still here. I'm still in control. I still got this all under control. This is the book of Ruth. It is like a diamond in the rough. It is like the jewel. And when you go to the jewelers and you buy that diamond, they put it on this black velvet, this dark colored velvet, in order to shed some light on that little diamond to make it look so much bigger. It's a waste of money. I lost my wedding ring two days after I was married. It is somewhere in the snows of Colorado. I hope. It's either that or in the bottom of a McDonald's bag that was thrown away. But we're going to say somewhere buried in the snows of Colorado. That's like that story better. This is the background, though. We have, we're in the midst of the judges. This isn't the end of the judges. It's right in the middle of the judges. There should have never been judges in the, all of Israel. But the reason there's judges is because Israel cannot keep its relationship with, with its God, with Jehovah. Israel goes through a good season, a season of plentiful, and then forgets God and starts to bring in idols and starts to lack their, starts, they stop sacrificing, they stop going to temple, they stop praying, and all of a sudden they're starting to lose out on God. So then God sends a famine in the land and says, well, listen, I want you to know where your substance comes from. I want you to know who gives you plentiful. I want you to know why you're a blessed nation. Every other nation can be in a famine, but Israel will have plenty. And I'll tell you why, because I'm in control of it all. But don't forget that, because if you forget it, I'll just remind you by setting myself back a little bit. I just, he hasn't, he hasn't left Israel. He just sets himself back a little bit. And so then in the middle of the famine, they'll send a judge to tell them, you've left your first love, you've left Jehovah. And so now you need to repent and come back to him. They repent and come back. They're in a time of plentiful, and then the judge dies. And they start all over. It's this endless cycle. This up, this down, this roller coaster, if you would, of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've come this morning to tell you, your relationship with Jesus Christ should not mirror that of Israel's. You ought to stay close to Jesus Christ. You ought to stay close to the church. You ought to stay close to your Savior. If you find yourself in times of trouble and situation, then I have to ask, where is your life? Now, there's sometimes you go through it and your prayer life's good. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is good. He's working in that situation. And there's 
sometimes where God hasn't abandoned me like I like to think. Sometimes He just steps back for a moment for you to realize who's really been taking care of you, who's really been healing you, who's really got you under, who really puts food in your cupboard, who really puts money in your bank, who really pays rent, who really heals your body, who really takes care of the church, who really takes care of the widow. Sometimes God doesn't, He doesn't abandon us. Sometimes He just takes a step back to remind you that without Him, you should be nothing. He's not this all-powerful, mean individual who sits back and says, you'll either praise me or I'll take it away. But sometimes He just sits back just a little bit to remind us, really, who does it all, who really takes care of it all. He takes care of everything, my friend. Nothing happens outside of my God. We find in this time that the man Elimelech leaves Israel in a time of famine. It is a time when Israel should be repenting. It is a time when Israel should be going back to their God. But instead he thinks, well, why don't I abandon Israel altogether? I'll go to a land of plenty. And in fact, uh, at this time, I looked it up. Every judge had an enemy that they had to fight over when Israel repented. And wanted to come back to God. They, they submitted themselves to some superpower of the day. That's why every judge came in, defeated an enemy. And at this time, the scriptures uh, tell us who the judge was in this time frame. We have an idea that it says that Eglon is the king of Moab at the time. And Ehud is the judge who later has to defeat Moab and the Moabitess people. And right in the middle of this battle, right in the middle of this idea, right before the judge comes to defeat Moab and its people, right before he comes to take Israel out of the clutches, Elamelech, a man of the church, a man who owns land, a man who should be of high rapport, decides not to just leave Israel, but to leave and go to the seeming superpower of the day. He abandons the church to go to what he thinks seems to have the most going on for it. He leaves the body of Christ to go into a land that he thinks has plenty, who's really got everything going on, who, who really seemingly has all that they need. That's the superpower of the day. And in fact, my friend, uh, this it's not just the next tribe over. It's not just the next village over. They're separated by an entire Dead Sea. Bethlehem, Judea, and, Mo and, Moab, and the land of Moab is not right next to each other. He had to cross through Bethlehem. He had to cross through Jerusalem. He had to cross over Jericho and cross over the River Jordan. These are the same places that his forefathers had already defeated their enemy at. They, they tore down the walls of Jericho and he walked right past it knowing the victory that had been won there by the people of God and by the church of God. He crosses over the Jordan where the elders had put stones as landmarks, altars to remind the people don't go back into this desert. Don't go back into what we came out of. Don't go back into, into this life. It does, it's not what it's made out to be. But instead he crosses over all of the good things. Because all he knows is there's a famine. He crosses over all the testimony of the elders. Because he knows that there's a famine. And he thinks that the testimony of the elders don't hold a wick or a candle to what's going on in Moab. Can I tell you my friend, nothing in this world's going on that's better than what's going on at the church. The church's worst day is better than the best day in this world. Your church can be in the middle of a famine. It can be as dry as dead bones. But I promise you, it's better to stick with a bunch of dry dead than try your chances out in this world. 
It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It seemed to be the superpower of the day. But my scriptures tell of a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, they may have a sprinkler system and their grass grows a little bit taller today. But in the morning, in the morning, once my God has his final say, it'll all burn up all the same. I'm telling you, my friend, I've taken my chances out in the world and I've given God his chance in my life. And there's nothing better. There's never been a better decision that I've ever made than to stick it out with the people of God in the places of God and with the spirit of God. If you're in this house and you're debating in your mind, what would be better? If you're in this place and you're, maybe you live in Moab and maybe you're just coming over because you think you're just here on a service by accident. Let me tell you, my friend, you're here this morning to learn to hear me tell you that there is no better place than the people and the places and the spirit of God. Elamelech should have never done it. He should have never walked away. He should have never left the church. He should have never left the people. He should have stood up and said, you know what, if there is a problem, then I'm going to start fixing it myself. If there's a lack of prayer in church, then I'm going to, you're going to find me on my knees. If there is an organization that is lacking, maybe we don't have enough youth in our church. Maybe we don't have enough kids in our church. Maybe we don't have enough prayer in our church. Maybe our worship services aren't enough. And instead of standing up and said, then I'll be the worshiper. I'll reach the young people. I'll reach individuals. I'll give Bible studies. I'll pray. I'll worship I'll fast instead of doing that he thought the answer was to abandon let me tell you something my friend your dry season follows you to everywhere else you go you cannot escape your dry season because it's not a place it's a time that you're going through in that moment in that time if you think hopping church in order to get out of your dry season will get you out of it it won't it won't it won't and if you think leaving the body of Christ gets you out of your dry season you're wrong it should have never happened. Elimelech should have never left the people of God. He should have never left the place of God. He goes into a land that he is actually despised in. In, the, in fact, the Bible tells us that God tells Israel to hate the people of Moab. Have nothing to do with them. That's what he says. He says, don't marry their women. Don't hang out with their people. Don't, don't, don't worship with them. Don't feast with them. Don't fast with them. Don't, don't have your victories with them. Don't have failures. Have nothing to do with the people of Moab. God himself says he hated the people of Moab because of their idolatrous ways and their refusal to turn to Jehovah. He says, have nothing to do with them. But in fact, Elamelech thinks that he can find refuge in times of, uh, of his weakness. He thinks he can find strength in times of weakness in the people in the place of Moab. It should have never happened, but it did. And in that, he lost another generation, two boys. That should have never died in a foreign land. That should have never died in a place. They should have never been it. They should have died at home. They should have been with their, with their family. They should have been with the people of God. They ought to have a funeral surrounded by people of God. They should have been buried in the land of Israel. It's so important to them in that day and age to be buried. Joseph said, don't even leave my bones here long after I'm gone. And, and, and just, uh, just a stack of bones. He said, unbury me and take me with you. Don't even leave me. He shouldn't be buried here. But in fact, Elimelech, because he chose to abandon the church and abandon the people of God, now he and another generation have died in the land of Moab. Should have never happened, but it did. It shouldn't have been the story. 
but it was. It kind of reminds me of a story of a savior who should have never been born in a lonely manger in Bethlehem, Judea, who should have never lived amongst men who hated him and despised him, who should have never walked amongst men who put him down and and treaded on him, who stoned him and and, and tried to kill him several times over. It reminds me of a story of, of, of a savior who came. He could have been born however, he should have been born and come into this world as, as the king of kings. And instead he comes in as a lonely manger boy. He comes in as just in the lowest of ways and he, and he dies in the land of people that despise him. And he dies in a tomb of people that despise him. And it should have never been done. He shouldn't have been put in that opportunity to have done that. But because men sinned in the first place, it had to be done. And my Christ, my Lord, my Savior dies for our sins. It should have not had happened, but it did. It did because the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, the only begotten of the Father. It should have never happened, but Jesus Christ knew himself that a man would ever come out of their circumstance, that if man would ever come out of their sin, if man would ever find any light, then he would have to be the ultimate sacrifice. And in this day, in this age, what we like to think, I've talked to friends and they've told me, backsiders have told me that they, they're, they're universalists now, that they think that, you find God in several different ways. That There's several different paths to Jesus Christ. There's several different paths to God. But my scripture says in John 14, 6, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to the Father but by me. He should have never been put in a place where he had to die for my sins. And I'm not worth dying for. But he loved me so much that he did. I'm not worth his death. It shouldn't have happened. I am a lowly sinner. I am worthless. I'm telling you, if you would have known me years ago, you wouldn't have looked at me the same way you look at me today. I was nothing and nobody. A drug addict, an alcoholic, put out on the streets, homeless. We, we had a home, but nobody ever lived in it. My mom was in college. I stayed with friends. We stayed wherever we went, place to place. We'd sleep there until we got kicked out. I should have never been worth somebody's life. It should have never happened, but it did because he loved me so much. And we look at our situation and we think it never should have happened and we dwell on what was and we dwell on our hurt and we dwell on our pain and it shouldn't have happened, but it did. You should have never been hurt. You should have never been abused. You should have never been church hurt. Your pastor shouldn't have said what he said to you. You shouldn't have been hit. You shouldn't have been talked to like that. You shouldn't have had to go through sickness, but you did. And my God knows it. And he works in spite of it. Elimelech should have never left the church. He should have never left the people of God, but he did. And because he did, we find the story of Ruth. If he was coming down to save me, he should have never done it. But he did. And because he did, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I have a promise that waits on me beyond this mortal world. Because he did, I'm a pilgrim to this land. I don't belong here. This is not my home. My address is not 1806 Glenacourt. College Station, Texas, that my address is one way, Jesus Christ Lane in heaven on glory streets. Yeah. 
We can't dwell on what shouldn't have happened. We can't live our life on what should have never been done. We can only live our life on the fact that it did happen. And what is God going to do about it? What am I going to do in Christ about it? Ruth should have never been a story in the scriptures. But she is. And because she is, because she's so important, because she's so relevant, we find her story that seemingly, I think most of us just pass over all together. You almost never hear of Stories written on the book of Ruth. You never hear of sermons on the book of Ruth. You never talk about, you never, when Bible college, when we'd sit around in the common area and debate about the most ignorant things you've ever heard about in your life, we never one time discussed the book of Ruth. And I do not know why. Because I, too, was a nobody and a nothing. We find her story and we find a phrase that she makes. She stands before Naomi. Now, Naomi, in her bitterness and her anger, decides to go back to Israel. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And now she's left here a widow with two widow daughters. I don't know how old Ruth is at the time. I don't know what killed her husband. I don't know what killed her brother-in-law. I don't know what killed her father-in-law. Nobody knows. But Naomi knows what her situation is. She probably knows that she should have never left the people of God. She probably knows she should have never went to the land of Moab. But here she is. Circumstances that are beyond her. She didn't even cause it herself. The world caused it around her. She didn't make this decision. She just went with the flow. She just like a boat in the middle of a storm. In the middle of it just tossed to and fro. And she's in this situation. And she chooses to be bitter. And she looks at Ruth and she looks at Orpah and she tells them, just go home. Go back to your mama. Go back to your family. Go back to Moab. Go back to that land. Just, just get it. it I've, she go, she's going back to Israel. Going back to the church. Going back to a land of promise. And they're not in a famine anymore. And instead of embracing these girls saying, you ought to come with me to the place of God. She says, just go home. I'm too bitter. I have nothing for you. I have nothing to offer you. I, I cannot have sons. And even if I could have sons, would you wait around to remarry them? That's foolish to think that's even possible. Just go home. And let me tell you something. There's nothing that any of you can do to me to make me think for a second that I should tell anybody not to embrace this gospel message. This gospel message was awarded to me when I did not deserve it and it was awarded to you when you did not deserve it. This gospel message is for every person and every kind, every tongue and every tribe. But Ruth looks at her and she makes this promise. She says, wherever you go, I'll go also. Wherever you lay, I'll lay. Whatever you eat, I'll eat. Whoever you praise, I'll praise. Whenever you stand up, I'll stand up. Whenever you go down, I'll go down. Where you live, I'll live. And where you die, I'll die. What I think what she's saying is, now listen, Ruth, as a Moabite woman, 
I'm sure, has only heard stories of Israel, but knows nothing of Israel. Knows nothing of their laws, nothing of their promises. She hadn't had to live in them. And obviously, Lamelech wouldn't have studied it, taught her. Why would he teach her the lessons of God, the lessons of Israel? And he was not even living it himself. But So this woman, she's Ruth, she's just making this, this promise to Naomi, having never seen it before, having never witnessed it before, never lived in it. She's never experienced the, the presence, the love, or, or, the, or the blessings of God and yet she makes this promise and let me tell you today in 2022 that's who God's looking for he's looking for the person who has not seen and yet believes the Bible says blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes he's looking for the young person the old person the the, the individual that says I've never seen the blind eye open I've never seen the lame walk I've never seen the deaf ear unstopped I've never seen a tumor fall off and yet I believe that Jesus Christ still can He's looking for the individual that says, I haven't prayed through thousands of people through the Holy Ghost, but that doesn't mean that my God cannot feel thousands through with the Holy Ghost. He's looking for the person who says, I've never been to a foreign field, but I know that God can move in a foreign field. He's looking for the person that stands up and makes the promise. I've never, uh, I've never, I've never done a Bible study. I've never given a Bible study. I've never worked with a person, but that doesn't mean God can't work through me. He's looking for the person who's yet to see it, but believes God can still do it. Is there anybody in here that has yet to see a great revival but believes that God can do a great revival? Is there anybody in here that says, I haven't seen a hundred people walk through the door all at one time, but that doesn't mean God cannot do it? Let me tell you, my God can cash a check there ain't money in the bank for. I have had, I've been given receipts of things that I did not pay for. But they said it's been paid in full. I have gone and paid my school bill. And they said, you've already paid it this month. I didn't argue. I walk away quick, fast, and in a hurry. Can I get that in writing? And is it on the camera? God seems to cash checks that I wrote because God's not in it to embarrass me. He's not in it to make me look like a fool. He's not in it to make me look like a failure. He's not in it for me to step out and fall and drown. My God saves me every time. He moves in my situation I think that sometimes I think that sometimes God moves in situations simply because I wrote a check too big that I could not cash myself he's not a liar my friend why don't we lift out our hands right now heavenly father I pray for healing virtue right now